I am responsible. Hey, I want you to say that to yourself 20 times today. I am responsible. It can change your life. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Hey, welcome into the 48 Days Radio Show, first episode for the new year. Welcome to 2015. Hey, last week I took a little um, shorter version of the podcast, just from kind of end of the year thoughts, but today we're back into the questions. Got a lot of questions dealing with frustration. Started the new year here. Hey, we'll talk about that, but also some positive things. This is where we take 48 minutes each week to dive into those real life questions about finding your passion, deciding what kind of life you want to live, and then finding or creating work that you choose. Work that allows you to show up every day, excited to be able to do something that is meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable. Well, our business partner today is FreshBooks. You can claim your month-long unrestricted free trial, no credit card or anything. Just go to freshbooks.com slash 48 days, enter 48 days in the how did you hear about us section. Now, I want to deal some today with this idea of life happening to us rather than us creating our own life. I mean, there's just, there's only one way to look at this. I mean, there's two primary choices in life, either to accept conditions as they exist, accept our life as it exists, or accept responsibility for changing it. I mean, that's it. And so, yeah, I'm, sometimes I get a little impatient when people describe circumstances where they're trapped, they have no control, the company is doing this, their employer is doing this, the government is doing this. No, we need to take responsibility. Jim Rohn says you must take personal responsibilities. You cannot change the circumstance, the seasons, or the wind, but you can change yourself. That is something you have charge of. We're going to talk about that. Well, here's some of the questions we'll be looking at. Dan, what are some examples of a large financial shovel? We'll talk about that. I've got some fun things I want to share with you. If you need a big financial shovel, yeah, there's opportunities all around us. Dan, can having goals in your seven life areas help with my depression? Should I leave my job three years before my retirement package starts? And then how about this one? We'll get to this. I have two degrees in areas I'm not interested in. I don't ever want to work for an employer again, but I need to make money now. Well, we'll look at if you box yourself in, eliminate too many possibilities, there's nothing left. But we'll see what, what's left at the end of the day there. Quotation today comes from Brene Brown, popular writer. She says, if you own this story, you get to write the ending. I mean, how exciting is that? That's, I mean, we're, we're creating a movie every day, every scene, everything that you do creates a scene in the movie of your life. I mean, the interaction you had with your spouse this morning, that's a permanent scene in the movie of your life. I mean, how you responded to the little gal behind the cashier, the, the checkout cashier, you know, at McDonald's this morning, that's a scene in the movie of your life. We get to write that. If you decide in advance what you want the movie of your life to look like, 
You can write the script and then live it out. Well, let me tell you a little bit about our friends at Fresh Books. Nature of work is changing again. Boy, is it ever. I mean, the internet has enabled more people to become self-employed professionals, small business owners. We're more autonomous. We're working in new jobs that could not have been imagined a few years ago. I mean, only five or 10 years ago, working for yourself was considered kind of you know, second class, kind of looked down on. The thought being that, well, maybe he just, he or she just couldn't get a real job. Wow, that's no longer true. I mean, today, one in three Americans are self-employed. I mean, with this growing trend, group is going to grow to be over 40% of the U.S. workforce self-employed. I mean, a lot of the uh, statistics that I get sent to me are so bogus. I mean, how do you track statistically when there's a, you know, a million new people that have started businesses and yet they show up on statistics as unemployed? Well, they're not unemployed. They're doing something more fulfilling, more profitable than they've ever thought of before. Well, that's why FreshBooks is one of those things you need when you move into this new workspace. So many things you can do there. You can create your own invoices and keep track of your expenses so you can shoot them here at the end of the year or beginning of the year for what happened last year. Shoot them to your accountant or your CPA so that you get an accurate tax reporting, know where you stand there. I mean, those are things that are important. So anyway, go to freshbooks.com slash 48 days, enter 48 days in the how did you hear about a section that'll give you a free month unrestricted trial there. Check it out. Now, here's something I just call a thinking point. I'll probably have a new segment because there's so many things that I run across that are just great thinking points. But I listened to a podcast this week. It was actually Guy Raz's podcast who does How I Built This. It's an NPR podcast, How I Built This. He was interviewing Gary Erickson, who's the founder and owner of Cliff Bar. Now, if you're in sports at all, you recognize Cliff Bars. Gary was just a biker himself, bicycle rider, and... The things that were available, the bars, you know, were kind of pasty, didn't taste very good, had a lot of uh, chemical components in them. And he thought, there's got to be a better way. So he worked with his Greek mama, and they came up with what is now the Cliff Bar, named after his dad, whose name is Clifford. But here's the deal. You know, it was never about the money. It was about doing something that had value for people. But in April of 2000, Gary, who was a pretty young guy at the time, was offered, well, actually, I mean, it was more than offered, but he was, he was offered, he was going to sell his company for $120 million. Quaker Oats was going to buy it. I mean, what a deal to be able to sell your company for that kind of money and just walk away, do whatever you want to do. On the day of the signing, he went for a bike ride and I mean, he thought he was going to throw up. He could not come to any kind of peace about it at all. He called him and said the deal was off. This was after months of negotiating. And I mean, they were going to cut the checks, $120 million. He said, I don't want to do it. You know what he says? He says the thrill of running a business the right way is more powerful than the thrill of being rich. Now talk about doing work you love. I mean, how many of you would walk away from $120 million and just decide, you're just going to stop doing anything. Well, Gary decided he would, the thrill of running a business the right way is more powerful than the thrill of being rich. 
Now, I'm going to expand on that in a bulk. I'll do that in a writing format. But what a way to look at your business where you so love what you're doing that no amount of money could make you stop doing what you're doing. I mean, that's a pretty good indicator you're doing what you love. Now, he still owns the business outright. I mean, recently gave 20% of it to his employees, but he still is the only owner at 80% of the company and now worth over $600 million estimated. Well, what a cool kind of thing, but a cool test of if you're doing work that you love. A couple of just news clips. Apple, as you know, I mean, a lot of us are Apple users with computers, iPhones and all that. They admit to slowing down their old phones when new technology comes out. I mean, it's a way to push us into buying the new products. I mean, think about the control they have over us. They can slow down the performance of our existing phones, pushing us into getting the new ones. Well, they've agreed to provide new batteries for people like me. I need one. I'm going to go in. I've got an appointment set. I'm going to go in and get a new battery. And instead of $79, it costs $29. So they're at least doing that. I mean, they've had a, a PR nightmare the last couple of weeks with this admission that they do slow down older products and force you into buying the new ones. But at least you can get a $29 battery if you need one. And I certainly do. So check it out. Well, 18 states are going to increase the minimum wage in 2018. I mean, the federal minimum wage has been stuck at $7.25 an hour since, um, well, let's see, last since 2009. So quite a long time. But on a local level, you know, change is coming. Of course, you know, where I live here in Franklin, Tennessee, I mean, minimum wage is a non-issue. Nobody's gets, going to get somebody to come work for them at $7.25 an hour. You can go to Home Depot or Taco Bell and start at 14 bucks an hour. Now, uh, depending on where you live, I mean, it may be an issue, but here's the deal. I mean, we hear all this political discourse given to this issue of minimum wage. You as an individual, me as an individual, if minimum wage has anything to do with us, anything to do with you, either as an employee or as an employer, you're thinking far too small. It just, how could it possibly be an issue? I mean, hopefully you're not in a position where you're looking for a job that would pay minimum wage. Surely you have skills that would put your value at higher than that. And if you're an employer, hopefully you're doing something that has enough value that you're paying people well over $7.25 an hour. It's just, it's, it's a non-issue. Don't spend your emotional capital thinking about that. It should be a non-issue. Just go on. Free market allows us to operate, to be paid well, to pay well those who work for us. Non-issue. Move on. We aren't in that sphere. Well, a couple of good news things here. Now, I got a couple of things that are kind of in the same vein, just because I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, thanks to a $165 million donation from two tech billionaires, over 24,000 acres of pristine California coastline will be permanently protected in the years to come. Now, so they made this donation and it puts this 24,000 acres where it's going to be in protected. So instead of being developed, I mean, you know how developers are, you know, if there's an inch of land left between a tree and the ocean, you know, they're going to build something there. So this is going to take eight miles of breathtaking California coastline it has all kinds of endangered wild species there. It's a sanctuary. 
for all kinds of things, uh, all kinds of cultures, and it's going to be protected. That's a pretty cool kind of thing. Now, a couple other things in the same vein here. Clint Eastwood, this actually happened a little while ago, but you may not have heard, but he donated some oceanfront land to preserve open space for the public. He donated 79 acres of prime beachfront property to the Big Sur Land Trust. Again, this is something that would be worth millions and millions of dollars. But at some point, you got to be concerned about doing good, having work that you love, like we just talked about, uh, things that aren't connected to just creating more dollars. Well, Clint Eastwood and his wife did that. They uh, uh, made, uh, uh, they, they actually, they presented a 49-acre gift out there along the coast of California back in 1997. So this is another 79 acres been part of a project to buy up the property and then donated it to this um, so that it's going to be preserved forever just as beautiful area joanne and i were recently in chicago and we really appreciate the way that chicago has preserved the shoreline of the lake there where instead of just allowing development to come right out there's a whole lot of acres that are just beautiful park area and they've really kept the, a lot of the history of the city alive because of doing that. Now, here's another one in the same vein. Here, a farmer is returning 700 acres of California coastline to the Native American tribes. He's returning his family farm. This farm was purchased. Now, I don't even want to go into the details because a lot of the area that was purchased from the Indians was a pretty shady deals to say the least, but it was purchased by his family 150 years ago and they were forced inland. So there's 700 acres, this California coastline, Bill Richardson's family bought this features dense redwood forest, coastal bluffs, waterfalls right along the Pacific coast highway years and years ago. So what he's going to do is he's donating it back to them. How cool is that? Now, this is the deal. The Pomo Indians will get to start using the land immediately, while Richardson will get to live out his days on the mile-long stretch of property, again, 700 acres, and then he's going to be buried on a hillside when he passes on. But the land is, he's giving it back to the Indians. Golly, just, just some fun things there, just uh, some ways that people are doing good. Um, just good stuff. Good news. Delighted to search that out, pass it on every week. Let us know your good news as well. Incidentally, if you have good news, even it can be on a more personal level, yeah, just shoot that in to me as well at askdan at 48days.com. Be delighted to share those stories here. Now, here's a follow-up on a previous question. This has been probably about a month ago. Had a question from a 19-year-old young guy named Graham who said that he wanted to farm. But he said, you know, it's pretty hard to do that. It takes a lot of money. Geez, is there any way to do this? Well, we gave him some resources. I talked to him about the somebody who we I had just recently funded on Kickstarter who raised some money, raised $10,000 to start farming. And he had come off a farming cooperative where he had lived for a couple of years just as an apprentice to learn how to farm. Well, I had a lot of response to that. Had people sending me notes about 
how to help this young 19-year-old return to farming. And there's a whole lot of millennials who are saying that they don't want to work in factories somewhere. They don't need a Porsche to drive and, you know, live in a condo in the middle of concrete and asphalt. They want to get back to the land and would love to farm. So that's happening a lot and delightful to see. Sam, one of our listeners, sent in some new resources on how to help this 19-year-old. I've already passed it on to Graham, the information. But the information is probably useful to some of you as well. There's a video out there on the five elements to making $100,000 on a quarter acre of land. Now, this is pretty cool. This is an urban farmer, Curtis Stone, who repurposes unused yard space in urban and suburban areas. And then he gives a portion of the profits back to the homeowner. But there's there's a YouTube video on that. You can find it, Five Elements to Make $100,000 on a Quarter Acre. And he goes through how to do that. Now, there's another program that Sam gave us information about. Now, there's a farmer who helps new farmers qualify for Department of Agriculture property loans through apprenticeship. So he lets you be an apprentice on his land, and that helps you qualify then for a government loan, some government funding to help you buy your own property. Anyway, just fun stuff as a follow-up. I'm delighted to have listeners helping each other. So um, we'll add those links there. And again, I've already passed those on to the person, the young 19-year-old who asked the question a couple weeks ago. But delighted to have your input on that, Sam. All right, so this comes from Keith, who says, Dan, as someone who struggles with depression, I can vouch for having goals in the seven different areas of life to help weather life's uncertainty. I recently explained the wheel concept to another friend of mine who also deals with random bouts of anxiety and depression. I've been between jobs before and knowing that I'm investing in other areas of life to develop my legacy for my family. I have five children is a huge morale booster when job searching or dealing with a difficult work situation. I think it comes down to having hope. If all of your hope is tied up in one area, uh, then it can be a hit to that area when you have challenges in other areas and send you spiraling out of control, I know. Leaving the military in 2005, where I was respected and had proven myself in various situations, only to find myself going through 13 jobs inside of a two-year time frame, left me wondering what the purpose of life was all about. Having those other areas to focus on when my career was ill-defined, was critical to bringing me out of some major bouts of depression. So thank you for the work that you do and for getting the information out there each week. I try to catch your podcast from time to time. Hope that you get the sanctuary up and going again. And frankly, if local politics will let you. Well, thanks for your note, Keith. I'm continuing to work on the political details to get the sanctuary approved once again. Yeah, I'm confident that we'll be able to do that. It's a long, slow, boring process, but still working on some of the details there. But thanks for your noting. Absolutely. I do believe exactly what you're saying, that having goals in the seven different areas of life provides a buffer so that if you're challenged in your career or financial area, look at the strength, look at the deposits of success that you have in other areas. Those could be spiritually, physically, in your family, in your community, personal development, I mean, those are areas, if you have a lot of strength there and recognize, acknowledge your success, sure, that helps you in times of challenge. I mean, having a challenge in a particular area is like, you know, a, a, having a toothache, the old Shakespeare thing. 
you know, but it's like having a toothache. It gets all of your attention. No question about it. But if you have been building success in multiple areas, then a challenge in one area is not going to take you down. Incidentally, there's a, here's another resource. I just want to pass on. This is for people who do struggle with depression. We know that that's often the case with people who are creative. And if you go to creatives against depression.com, It's a wonderful site with a lot of resources there to help any of you who may be struggling with that. Creativesagainstdepression.com. Easy site to remember. One I discovered recently, somebody pointed out to me and love what they're offering there. Now, this has to do with the bigger shovel. This comes from Paul, who's a regular listener. He says, Dan, I recall in an online radio episode recently, you talked of real estate as an example of a large financial shovel. Now, It is, meaning that you can work 40 hours a week, 52 weeks a year, and make $50,000. Or you can make one real estate transaction where you may buy, I mean, look at some of these shows on TV, you know, you may buy something, put some sweat equity into it, you know, work for six weeks, make a transaction, resell it, fix it up, flip it, and make $50,000 on one transaction. I mean, that's what I mean by having a large shovel. So Paul says, would you please share other examples of a large shovel you can think of? Thank you and have a great 2018. Absolutely. So now think about that. What are some other things that would provide a large shovel financially? Well, one of the things that I use as a framework is what is it that I can do once and get paid a thousand times. That's just, that, that really kind of explains a big difference between linear income and residual income. In linear income, you do something once, you get paid once. With residual income, you do something once and you get paid again and again and again and again. Now, let me give you some examples of that. Obviously, That's why I enjoy writing books. Got a new book I'm working on. I'm really excited about, but writing books. I mean, when I wrote 48 days to the work you love, you know, I wrote one book. Well, I didn't just sell that for $20 to somebody. I mean, at this point, sales, I think are somewhere around, you know, 1.2 million, something like that. But anyway, that book has served me pretty well in being sold again and again and again and again not just one time. That's an example of having a large financial shovel. Here's some other things. I mean, creating a course. I mean, you see those come around a lot, creating a course. We had, we spent uh, New Year's Eve with our friends, Michael and Gail Hyatt. He just launched in the last couple of weeks, best year ever. If you're on my list, you saw a couple of promotions about that. Anyway, the course sold for $397 and they had about 4,000 people purchase that. Well, you do the math on that. That's a big financial shovel. I mean, having a membership site. I mean, you hear me talk about the 48 days Eagles. Well, at this point, we've got uh, 700 and I think 18 as of this morning is 718 people who have joined that. Um, Most of them are paying $30 a month. Well, that's a big financial shovel that just continues. We're continuing to build membership there, continuing to add fun things, resources there, because it all makes sense for everybody involved. But uh, 
it's a big financial shovel. No question about it. Inventing something would be a big financial shovel. I mean, if you look at uh, Kickstarter, some of the things that have been promoted on there in the last, just the last few months, exploding kittens, like somebody gave us that game for Christmas, exploding kittens. It's just a little card game. It's just, just, you know, cards that you go through it. Every so often there's an exploding kitten in there, just kind of a goofy little idea. Well, the guy who did that put it on Kickstarter he got $8,782,571 pledged. Over $8 million pledged with this little exploding kittens game. I mean, last year there was the thing called the coolest cooler. I mean, they, they described it as a portable party uh, disguised as a cooler bringing blended drinks, music, and fun to any outdoor occasion. It's just a little cooler that has built-in sound, you know, nice speakers and that kind of thing. Well, that silly little thing raised $13 million, over $13 million. Big financial shovel? Yeah, you better believe it. A recent one, and Joanne just had me read an article just yesterday on a blanket called Gravity. Now, Now, think about how uncomplicated this idea is. They came up with this. It's a weighted blanket engineered to be about seven to 12% of your body weight. So it's heavy. Now, a lot of people have tried to make blankets lighter so you don't have the weight on you. You know what? They just took a counterintuitive approach and they're saying that really having weight on you is comforting for kids, for people who have insomnia, for people who are depressed. Having a heavy blanket reduces stress, increases relaxation. So they're selling a blanket that is purposely heavy. It's called gravity. At this point, they've got 7 million, I mean, $4,729,263 that have been pledged to this. $4 million for a heavy blanket. I mean, it's like, wow, it's, it's, I know a lot of you are doing, you know, gee, why didn't I think of that? Why didn't I think of that? Well, those are the kind of things that are out there. Those, and those are the kind of things that you ought to be thinking about, you know, think in terms of those things. If you want a big financial shovel, sure. Think about writing a book, creating a course, having a membership site, inventing something. I mean, they're being part of, you know, doTERRA. Golly, we got a couple of friends who are part of doTERRA where they've recruited a lot of other people. Wow. You talk about having a big financial shovel. I mean, they, they have a whole, they get a little bit of the efforts of a whole lot of other people. Another example of a big financial shovel. Well, Hey, just, uh, got to move on to some other questions here. I love that though. I love thinking about that. How to have a big financial shovel. Well, the music reminds us we're listening to real life questions. People just like you and me out here struggling, making things happening. You know, we're not all struggling. Golly, the other day I was listening to a radio station and uh, I thought, I don't want to listen to this radio station anymore. You know, the, the songs were all about struggle, about how hard life is. And I thought, that's not the way I want to live. I don't want to be reminded of those things. I want to be reminded about these great opportunities that are out here and how in a brand new year, we can all start with a clean slate. We can choose. We can put ourselves in the driver's seat immediately by just taking responsibility for where we are and moving forward. That's what I want to be thinking about. But you can 
Send your questions in, obviously. Send your questions in. Just shoot them in to askdan at 48days.com. You can go to the 48 Days site, click on the podcast link, and you'll see a little form there where you can leave them there as well. You can leave an audio message if you want to. Uh, you hear me? I don't include those a whole lot because usually they're long enough. I just condense it into a short question and give it verbally anyway. But you can do that or just the easiest way, just shoot a question to askdan at 48days.com. Love seeing those come in. Well, here, I'll leave the name off this one. He says, Dan, I just joined the Eagles community. I've been a big fan of you and what your team do for people across the world who want to better themselves. I read your book, took the disc profile a few years ago. Uh, I'd like to give you a little background. Now, here's his situation. I changed careers at age 34, becoming a professional firefighter. Well, there are things I like about it. The people, every day is different. It has great work schedule. I get to help people in the community. I've come to realize I joined for the wrong reasons. I'm not the best fit for it. I just don't care for firefighting. I did get promoted a few years ago, and now I'm in a new position as a PR person, which I like, and it's more in line with my likes and strengths. I'm 52. This is where the details get important. I'm 52 and I can retire in three years with a pension with, with a pension of $75,000 pension and incredible benefits that I'm truly blessed to receive. I'd love to quit now, but I need, I know I need to tough it out and finish this. I want to do something else, but I'm just unsure what I want to do. I want to be able to smoothly transition in three years when I retire. I do have an entrepreneurial bug and he talks about, goes on, talks about some other things that he's done. There some things that he's tried things that he's liked to do. He likes to help people get good deals on cars, likes to help them get their car ready to get top dollar when they sell it. Not sure how to scale that. So he's experimenting with some other things. I wish you enjoying a wonderful new year and am forever grateful for all you do for us. All of us who are looking for work we love sincerely. Well, here's what I want to commend you on thinking thoughtfully through this. Now, you know, I'm one to say, follow your passion. Find or create work that you love. Don't settle for work that you don't enjoy. However, I am with you totally on your perspective about what you're doing. You're 52 years old, and in three years, you can retire with a $75,000 pension. Yeah, stay where you are. Stay there. Uh, Three years goes by in the blink of an eye. Three years is just a nice planning period of time for you to be experimenting and planning. What do you want to do in the next season of life? Three years from now, you're going to be 55 years old. I mean, just a great time to start looking at the next 20 years of your life. But to do that where you've got a base then with a a pension coming in, and then another 10 years, you can add Social Security to that if it's still around. Well, I mean, that's a great position. And yeah, you're not going to hear me at all saying, no, quit what you're doing. Nah, not at all. Especially in light of the fact that you say they've made some adjustments. You're now a PR person rather than out there doing what most firefighters do. And you got a position that's pretty much in line with your likes and strengths. Yeah, absolutely. Stay there. But in that period of time, don't just be flat footed. So the three years from now, you're dead in the water. This is a great time with an ongoing income to be experimenting. Gee, maybe it's going to be coming up with an invention, writing a book, you know, writing a course. Gal, you may be, you, you could write a course about how to prepare for the firefighters test that you have to take, you know, or how to go through the requirements to make yourself a firefighter. You know, there are things like that that can draw on what it is that you already know about 
that you can leverage into things that have big opportunity when that time comes. Now, I want to go into, I want to just, um, well, I mean, I'll, I'll grab a couple more here. This comes from India. Gentleman's name is Benoy, I believe. Um, I started reading, listening to your book, tried the strategies of asking people out for coffee. So far, I've not had any success in finding a job. I'm back in India with my wife. We're expecting our first child. As a Christian man, I sometimes wonder how I, I would be able to provide for my family. My interests lie in theological training and teaching. However, I've been working in the IT, information technology field, for a long time. I'm 40 years old, just turned 40 in December. Wow, okay, I'm not sure what I should be doing. Jobs that are available as a Bible teacher, uh, usually the salary is very low. Well, when you have training in something like IT, where we know that's very, very marketable, you know, to, to push yourself out of that and try to do something in theological training and teaching to support your family, you know, a wife expecting your first child. Golly, I just can't make much of a case for doing that. And as much as I want you to move toward things that you really enjoy and love, I mean, when we talk about, you know, things that, yeah, to, to be a Bible teacher or even to be, you know, a, a pastor or church staff person or missionary. And those are things that I encourage people to do as sidelines, not as frontline primary areas of focus. Those are things where it's really challenging. And I don't even like the model in most of those for having to expect other people to provide for your living because you want to do that. I mean, if you want, we, we have a young friend, you know, I need to go through, uh, I need to go through Nathan's scenario. I'll get the details from his dad, but Nathan was graduating from college and decided he wanted to be a missionary to China. Well, he was getting ready to send out letters to people to provide support for him to go. And I told his dad, I said, man, I think this is a poor idea. I just don't think this carries weight at all. He's young. He's very capable. He just decides he wants to go live in China. I mean, that's fine. If you want to go be a missionary in China, that's fine. But why would you expect other people to just automatically fund that? Well, he decided to take a different approach. He looked for opportunities to teach English as a second language. He had a school that put, gave him a place to live and a salary. He lived there for, I don't think it was three or four years he lived there. He had really very minimal expenses. He pocketed, I mean, he saved the money that he made. He was able to do missionary work in any way that he wanted to freely because he wasn't pegged as a missionary. He was a teacher. So it gave him more freedom to do missionary work than if he had been identified as a missionary. Well, he was there, did some amazing work, learned the culture, learned the language, and then he decided to come back. But then he took like two months because he had money saved up, took two months and toured the world. He went to all kinds of interesting places in the world before he finally came back and went into the next season of his life. But there are just so many ways to do good things without having to force yourself into trying to be paid for theological training, trying to be paid for Bible teaching. And do those because you love doing those, but be responsible in doing other things that provide for your family. 
Um, you know, this may seem counterintuitive to hear me talking about that because you think, well, Dan's going to tell you to just, you know, forget anything that doesn't, isn't totally in your dream spot. Nah, not at all. I mean, there are a lot of things that we do uh, through the course of being responsible people where it's, it's not just all peaches and cream, but it's things that fit for that season. Well, I mean, I've, I've done things, you know, like painting houses and uh, detailing cars, all kinds of things. Now, usually those were things that I was doing while I was in school, while I was getting advanced degrees, but in wanting to get advanced degrees, I didn't expect just to live a life of leisure during that period of time. No, it was a means to an end. And in doing that, I did things that weren't that thrilling. Not that, I never did anything that I really was, that I really hated. But uh, I mean, there's too many opportunities, even if it's just a means to an end to find things that you enjoy doing. But I encourage you to approach this, but no, I in a way that uses the skills that you have to continue providing well for your family financially. Use your discretionary time to do the ministry things that you want to do. All right, now this comes, this is another, this is a a name that I can't begin to pronounce. Um, But, um, okay, well, let me just go through. I'm just going to call this gentleman Bob because the name is very, very long and I would mess it up totally if I tried to pronounce it. Bob says, I obtained two degrees in biological sciences and physiology. However, I feel I wasn't my own man when I chose them. I don't really care too much about these subjects, but these are the only subjects that I'm actually degreed in. I was pre-med, but after much consideration, I don't feel it wise for me, at least now, to go in that direction. I did get a lab job, but I was terminated after two months. I'm not sure if it was a combination of the fact that I may not have been a fit for the job, um, I had to pay attention to details and I'm neurotic and overscrupulous or just, and just not feeling I should be there. I'm currently 30 years old. I have an interest in making music videos and perhaps music production. I had interest in graphic design, but after taking courses at a community college for a year and thinking about the market and what people with graphic design skills do working for an employer, I'm tr- not sure I want to do that either. After bad experiences working in that, I don't feel I ever want to work for an employer again. I need more income, and I'm already behind in bills. I currently have a part-time retail merchandise job that I don't want to continue doing. I've been currently applying for jobs related to my biology and degrees, but I know that's not something I care to do. I can try to practice and learn music production, making videos on the side, though the conditions have not been ideal, but I need something I can make money on now. Side note, I think the Holy Spirit may have informed me to be a DJ, disc jockey, and that I should charge $70 an hour, but I really have not cared to do it. I could DJ, but I have tinnitus and ENT recommended I do not be a DJ, as also did my mother. I'd rather pursue music production in hopes of producing my own songs. I've not currently mastered DJing to the standards I respect, but I need money fast. I have some technology stuff that I bought using credit, but to sell those to help pay utilities, I, I don't want I don't want to have to sell those because I still. Well, anyway, he doesn't want to sell his the technology stuff that he has. If I were to sell anything, I wouldn't get a whole lot of money and I'd have to use that to pay off debt. Okay, now here, here's the deal. Bob, has you have backed yourself into a corner. You've backed yourself into a corner on this 
because you've eliminated every reasonable option. You've got two degrees in biological sciences and physiology, but you feel now that that was a mistake. You don't want to use those subjects. You don't want to work in that. Um, you know that working in that is not a fit for you. Uh, you've had a couple other jobs. You've lost those jobs. Uh, you now have decided you don't want to work for an employer again. Um, you think the Holy Spirit told you to be a DJ, but you really don't want to do that. Trust me, that wasn't the Holy Spirit. If you don't want to do that and it doesn't fit your skills, it was something else, not the Holy Spirit. I mean, what, what you've done is you've, you've made a case for why you can't do anything. Now, here, here's another one. I got a note this morning from a gentleman. And again, I, I won't share his name. He said, I've been familiar with your work for the last 20 years. In fact, the work I've enjoyed for the past 20 years came to me as a result of following your philosophy and applying it. I was a member of 48days.net. Now, that's a community that we no longer have. Everything's been transitioned into 48 Days Eagles. Uh, at this point, I don't, he, he says, at this point, I don't see, I'm not sure how your products and services can take me any further. I don't see how the Eagles community can provide anything more than the old 48days.net could. The mentoring video we give for the Eagles was long, confusing, didn't really provide much of anything new. The Facebook group is basically the old 48days.net revised, which I found to be anticlimactic. I'm not interested in the library of resources because I have YouTube for that. I don't read much anyway, so I can't see spending the $30 a month on any of it. Now, this is interesting. He goes on, however, I would like to devise another 20-year plan, though based on a vision that I already have. Uh, plan to accomplish my vision. Maybe I could connect with one of your coaches for a session. The fear I have is that I will pay a coach to do little more than confirm what I already know, as was the case when I met with you so many years ago. Okay. <laughs> so he's writing to me to tell me that he's followed me for 20 years, but Nothing I've ever provided has been of any use. Well, he did say at the first that it helped him find work that he's enjoyed. But when you go through a whole litany, you know, I don't read, you know, nothing you have is of any value. It's anticlimactic. You know, um, when I met with you, all you did was confirm what I already knew. Whoa, what do you think my motivation is for connecting with somebody like that? I mean, I wrote him back. I said, hey, thanks for your note. However, I'm not sure I can help at this point. I think it would be very tough to get past your mindset. So I would suggest you look in some new areas for what may help you with your vision for the future. End of story. I mean, when, when you back yourself into a corner, don't expect somebody else to force you into success. It ain't going to happen. I mean, mindset, your own expectations, accepting responsibility for where you are, are critical, critical kind of components. Your, your personal skills preclude the value of your technical or academic degrees and skills. Now, if you want to work on things that open doors of opportunity, Practice being kind. Practice saying thank you. You know, listen well to others. I mean, those are things that are going to I mean, improve your manners. 
we were at a restaurant yesterday and there was a, we could hear uh, the booth next to us. And there was a young man who had obviously been taught good manners. Well, the waitress had blown away because this young guy who was probably 10 or 12 years old was so respectful and so courteous and said, yes, ma'am. You know, at the end of the question, I mean, wow, it's unusual. Those things can make you stand apart, open up new doors of opportunity. But when you've decided in advance that nothing somebody is going to give you to read, nothing they're going to tell you, no community they recommend is going to help you. Guess what? You're exactly right. I mean, it's the old Henry Ford thing. Whether you think you can or think you can, you're right. If you decide that nothing's going to help you, you're right. Nothing is. If you have decided you never want to work for an employer again, you're going to go into every interview with a negative expectation that's transparent. They're going to see that. Meaning when you, if you have degrees and you know you don't enjoy those areas of study and you go apply for jobs in those areas, you're doing a disservice both to yourself and to any potential employer. Don't do that. You've got to have something where you feel confident about it, where you feel excited about it, where you're optimistic about it, and where you want to move in that direction. This is a tough situation, Bob, that you've presented here. I don't have a solution for you. When you have degrees you don't want to use anymore, you don't want to work with any employer anymore, but you need money right now, guess what? That puts even more focus on you in providing something of value to other people. And you cannot, and here's, here's a challenge for you. You can have a job and really not care a whole lot about the company, the product, the service, and just kind of go through the motions and get a paycheck. If you don't want a job, you want to do something on your own. It's absolutely a necessity that you're doing something that you really believe in and something that you enjoy. You cannot maintain doing something on your own. Even if you're in the driver's seat at that point, you cannot maintain it unless it's something you really believe in and enjoy. You'll burn out. It won't last. Thus, you've painted yourself into a corner. Now, do I think that you can find something that you enjoy? Sure. Pay attention to the things that get your attention. Follow your curiosity. I don't care what kind of degrees you've got. And if you don't want to use them anymore, that's okay. Follow your curiosity, figure out what is it that you could do that has value? What is it that you enjoy doing? If there's nothing, the only thing you enjoy doing, you know, is sitting on TV, sitting on the couch, watching TV, you're going to end up in welfare. You end up living with your mom. Sounds like your mom still has a lot of influence in your life. You know, you'll end up living with your mom when you're 40 years old. Now being 30. Now, if you say that you're neurotic and overscrupulous, what are you going to do to change that? Those aren't things that are superimposed on you. If you don't want to be neurotic, stop being neurotic. Got to to pull up the old Bob Newhart clip. Stop it. Just don't be that way anymore. Decide what, how it is you want to be. You can change who you are and where you are. You can change who you are and where you are by changing what you allow in your mind. What are you watching? What are you reading? What are you listening to? Who are you hanging around? I mean, those are all things you can control immediately. You can change those. You can move into an area where, in fact, you are in the driver's seat. And you can 
Change the life that you have. Change it. Do something different. That's what stuck you need to do. Nobody needs to be stuck in the J-O-B. Well, she said, don't want to end it a downer. I hope that isn't. I'm the, the optimistic part of this is you can change today. We all can. My goodness, I didn't have the kind of year that I wanted last year. Am I hanging my head about that? No, I got a brand new year. Just started a couple days ago. What a cool opportunity that presents for me to put myself back in the driver's seat. Do things differently. If I don't like the results I got, I got an opportunity to do things differently this year, which I'm going to do. Well, you can do it too. Hey, hope this has been encouraging. Keep those uh, questions coming in. Just shoot them in and ask Dan at 48days.com. We got a growing list of resources. We got a whole lot of resources that we're, we're shoveling into the library in the 48 Days Eagles community. Check that out. But uh, new resources in there. People are listing their own books. We're sharing books and courses that are created by members in there. So we support each other and elevate everybody's success. Lots of fun things. But thanks for being part of this community in whatever way that you are. If you're a listener, that's fine. Just um, we appreciate you being part of this growing community of people who are finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. You know me. I believe you don't need to settle for less. 